Hey everyone, welcome back to the Eminem Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host Alex Metzger, along with me is my co-host Chase McCallum, and it is 9.42 p.m. on Sunday evening as we are recording this. We are about 12 minutes after watching the Toronto Maple Leafs and Florida Panthers play Game 3, and the Toronto Maple Leafs, after being in a metaphorical must-win game, uh, now put themselves in a legitimate must-win game because they are down 3 nothing in the series. Um Let's start with this this series, Chase. I mean, it's fresh off our minds. This is a weird one because we don't usually react right after a game like this. Like, we usually have 16 hours almost to digest between what the last hockey we saw and and recording. So um, let, let's take it back to where we were when we were last recording um, on, on th- Wednesday, which was our Thursday podcast. And at that point, we had already seen game one. Toronto played really well, and we both kind of agreed that for being down one nothing. If you're Toronto, you have to feel pretty confident about this series and and how it's going to go for you. And and oddly enough, you come out to game two and the exact same thing happens where they absolutely dominate the first. They go in with a lead. It's five minutes in the second where they make two brutal turnovers for two goals in a minute. And that's the game. They play amazing for the rest of the game, but it does not matter because Bobrovsky shuts the door. Suddenly you're down to nothing. Yep. And then you put yourself in a spot where you can't make any mistakes. Yeah. And you and so, can't afford to do anything else wrong. And so that's the thing is like with game two, you know, I, I kind of text you on the weekend too. It's like, I want, want to get your thoughts on how you're feeling because, you know, as a neutral spectator, I still felt really good about Toronto coming back and then making this a series slash even winning it when they were down to nothing, just based on how they had dominated. But the best way I had heard it put was, I, I think I said it was on the PDO cast, and they said you, yeah. you can be worried, but you shouldn't be afraid of how the first two games have gone. And, but you have to be worried because you don't give yourself much room for an off night or, you know, uh, another performance where Bob steals the game or anything like that. And, well, they followed it up with game three of the most disappointing game of the series. I didn't think they got dominated or anything tonight, but they definitely did not look like a team that needed a win or anything like that. And for large stretches of the game, they did get outplayed. You know, it was probably a 50-50 game, but maybe even 60-40, I'd say, Florida in that area. But they didn't play with as much urgency as you thought this team would come out with. Yeah, and I think a big problem is like, I mean, you could model it this way. None of the public ones do. But yeah, I say it's like a 60-40 XG game or whatever. But the XG for the Leafs was outside of Nylander, not distributed where you need it to be. Like usually the Leafs' edge is that when the Leafs are out playing you with like, you know, usually the Leafs have a 65% edge. Plus it's the best goal scorer on the planet um, finishing the majority of the shots or whatever. But when... And it's David fucking Camp or whatever. Like, uh, God bless David Camp. He played well tonight and guys like that. But it's just fundamentally different than, you know, how the Leafs would generally want to, to play a game when your top guys are are disproportionately underperforming. Uh, it's just going to make it even worse than, like, the box score actually looks and yeah, that's that's the big thing. Is they're talking oh. Marner specifically looked like shit tonight. Marner looked horrible. I Matthews, don't... I thought was pretty invisible offensively, and yeah, had a couple, couple defense, defensive, defensive woes. But he also had a couple nice defensive plays to make up for it. But he yeah. was still overall not 
You can't be getting that result out of, you can't have a couple nice defensive plays did nothing else out of a $12 million player. Yeah. Um, considering the context, that's their worst game as Leafs. Marner's for of, sure. Yeah. I'm trying to, I don't, I think the whole team just looked like ass in the Montreal game seven, if I remember correctly. They, yeah. They look really bad in the Montreal game seven too. Yeah. Even like the one Boston one, if I'm not mistaken as well. Like, but yeah, like, I, I don't know. That was Mitch Marner was invisible tonight, which is just, yeah. and yeah, like the only, I was, we were texting you know, during the game and by the way, deserved to win a meter for money puck was 70 30 for Florida. So, um, you know, that feels a little more aggressive, but as you said, it does feel right. I guess if you want to say 60, 40 play, but Florida's good guys were the ones getting all the chances, whereas yeah. Toronto's, it was, yeah, Sam Lafferty, Lafferty and David Camp or whatever. And Nylander played great, as per fucking usual, and I'm sure he'll be the one that gets traded when this all goes to hell in the summer. Yeah, I mean, so this is why, you know, it's it's fun getting the raw emotion, but also, like, I, I want to take a step back and think about it as well, right? But, yeah, one of yeah. the things I was really curious about after the first round, and just like we've been asking, I think, all year fairly, is let's say they do slay the dragon, which they did. They get over Tampa. They get over that hump. It's a massive story, good feel-good story for all Leaf fans, right? Well, and then the question was, well, what if they lose in round two? Is that good enough? And I think most mm-hmm. people would have said if you battled a game seven and lose to the historic Boston team in six or seven or whatever, and there's a couple overtimes in there, I think generally speaking, obviously it would be disappointing, but you could probably make a case it was good enough and that they got unlucky. If they yep. lose in four or five, honestly, if they lose the series at all now, I don't think people are going to be giving them that that was good enough uh, seal of approval. No, I think they've put themselves in a position. I think Dubas probably has his job saved. Like, the dramatic changes were going to be coming. I think the only thing that's going to happen now is it gets to be Kyle Dubas making the dramatic changes instead of Dubas getting canned and then somebody else coming in and doing it. I agree. And and that's only, I think Dubas only stays if he agrees to make some big changes as well. Keefe's gone. You would have to think so. That's unless, the first change, right? That's the uh, easiest change you can win. Unless they're fully committed to just like, no, like Mitch Marner's gone or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Because like Marner played like shit and we've seen Marner play like shit. Well, like Marner played like a Con Smythe winner against the best team of this era one series ago. I'm pretty skeptical that he's fundamentally broken in the playoffs. You're losing a Marner trade. You're losing a Nylander trade. You're losing, obviously, a Matthews trade. You could probably do some cool stuff with Tavares' cap space or whatever, but that's just You're not trading Tavares. He's got a full no-trade clause, right? Like, same with Morgan Riley. And even, like, Riley's good. Riley looks good every playoffs. And, yeah, he's looked good Um, these playoffs or whatever. Riley, again, you could probably win a transaction involving him, but it's off the table. I Like, Keefe's your, your way out to win something. Keeves have been dramatically outcoached. It feels like every single game. Yeah, I don't disagree, but also like playoffs. I don't know if they can use that bullet again. They kind of already used it with Babcock, you know? Yeah, they did. I wonder if like like Babcock was so obviously fried. I don't know. I don't know what you do. Yeah, I because what else goes then, right? Well, then that's the thing. It's like, I just don't know if people are going to accept as enough change of just simply changing the coach. 
Yeah, coach, you can overhaul the depth pretty aggressively. They, to be fair, like you, they've done that every year. Like that doesn't change. That that is no different than what they've done for the past five years. They've yeah. changed. They have. I think they someone was saying it was ten different players from last year's game seven to this year's starting lineup. Oh yeah, the depth is wildly different. Yeah, it, and, and it, it is every year. That was mm-hmm. something that, like we've talked about it all a couple times. Like, remember when they were doomed because they lost Kaepernick and Janssen? Like that was two full depth leaf phases ago. Now, yep. right? That was we still had the Angval Mikheyev depth phase, and now we're in. I mean, Ker, Kerfoot's really been the only constant there. Yep. Yeah. For sure. And yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I, I just. I think it's too soon. We'll talk about that, you know, once they, if slash once they do lose the fourth game in this series, um, you know, they're, they're, they're still not out of it is the thing. Um, but the other massive talking point about this game is Luke Shen tries to kill his own goalie uh, and takes yeah, Samsonov right out of the game and maybe out of the playoffs. Uh, Joseph Wall stepped in and looked amazing. I thought he, like, he stood on his head for parts of this game. Um, I, I thought so too. And then he, he comes in like, I fucking hated going in cold as a goalie. I think that's pretty universal, and I don't think you have to have played goalie to understand why that would suck. And the first shot was a cross crease on the power mm-hmm. play. The second mm-hmm. was the breakaway that went in, and then the next is a two-on-one. It's like, Jesus Christ, help the 24-year-old who's being put in cold. Yeah, literally. And, like... They have three more breakaways in the third. And so they, this is kind of where, A, I, I do think that Keefe is rightfully going to be under pressure. And B, like, I, I still think, you know, it's funny because everyone loves what Dubas did at the deadline. And I think, so, you know, some of the moves were good. Like, I, I think still objectively the Ryan O'Reilly move was a good move to be made. But, like, this team is relying on Justin Hall and Luke Shen and even David Camp and Nola Chari and Sam Lafferty way too much. And it was pointed out that like that's five games in a row now where the Leafs have scored two or fewer goals. It's yep. still the same crap as every other year that they can't get any scoring, you know, or not any scoring because you know I think it was it was covered up by the first couple games. But like when things get tight, they still struggle to score. The only difference is they managed to squeak out wins in game five and six, or sorry, in six they lost in game five in the in the um, Lightning series, of course. But like, so that's one of my problems. But the other problem is I. This team is fundamentally flawed right now on how they play defense, in my opinion. Um, and I think some of it is because they're playing, they're trying to play this harder playoffs, quote unquote, style of hockey, but they sit so far back in their own end. And it pisses me off. Like, they, they just look like, scared. Yeah. Like, and like, I get point shots are generally so, like, obviously, you would rather give up a point shot than a bunch from the slot or whatever. But I think there's got to be something to be said about not let, having. Point, uh defensemen have four steps on the blue line to do stuff with the puck, which like they play five guys yeah. below the hash mark. And I just, I don't think that's the most effective way to play. And then multiple times this game, their whole defense core just got caught sleeping and like Duclair got in for three breakaways, you know, Sam it's Reinhardt got in. series too. Exactly. Like, wow. Yeah, like Sam Reinhardt got in for a breakaway. Oh my god, don't even get me started with the defensive coverage on that overtime goal. Yeah, that was oh was freaking horrible. Reinhardt walked through four guys, four players. You want to talk about playing hard hockey? That's when you have to do it. Not this yep. stupid crap about like, oh punch the guy after the whistle. We're like, no, I don't give a shit about that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's not about 
cross-checking a guy after the play or whatever. It's about actually taking him off the puck there, and then there's a goal that doesn't go in. Same with even just, like, boxing your man out front. Like, that second goal, yeah, it's a little unlucky on the least part because it literally hits for Haggy's ass and goes in the net. But Matthews is just letting him stand. went in that way, too. Exactly. And, like, and the reason it was able to hit him and go in the net like that is Matthews did a horrible job trying to even, like, give him a shot to box him out or anything like that. So, I don't know. It's just, I this team is... For a, a team that had really good defensive results in the regular season, I have hated watching them play in their own end. To me, they look scared, they look timid, and they look more focused on trying to hit the guy after he's touched the puck than actually intercepting the puck and making it go the other way. Yeah, And it's the same crap on Ford. Like, this team has some of the most talented Fords in the league. Why are they dumping yep. and chasing every single play? Oh, it's infuriating. They've they haven't done it like as aggressively as they used to. They've used the stretch pass a lot more than I would like as well. We're back to Babcock era on that apparently where that's a legitimate strategy. They're trying like you have all of the talent in the world and like William Nylander is literally just an automatic controlled entry and stuff like that. Like fucking use it. Marner should be, of course, if he plays like that, he's not, but like your entire top six should be able to gain the zone without blinking every single time because they're that good. People are giving Nylander flack for not driving the net a little harder in game two. And it's like, well, game three tonight is exactly why he doesn't do that because he peels back, finds a wide open guy with four guys rushing over the blue line. And it happened to be Gustafson who had a wide open guy out front of the net, but it hits the Florida Panther stick and goes in the net anyways. Right. Like, but you know, that pass makes it through. That's an automatic goal as well. To, um, I don't know if it's a Kerfoot or a child, whoever was standing in front, camp maybe it doesn't really matter, but yeah, I kind of forget too. Yeah, yeah, like you just, I don't know, it just this team, Toronto does not deserve to be down three nothing in this series. I think that is uh fair to say, yeah, it should be two one in some direction, yes, even but, if you think the Leafs XG is inflated for whatever reason from games one and two. Well, I'm like, and so the thing, you know, I got to write an article tonight about the first three games of the series. And I think one of the things I'm going to focus on is just like, when it comes down to it, it's as simple as this. Florida's best guys have been better than Toronto's best guys. Now, some of that can be just pure bad luck because like Nylander's been, was buzzing for three of the, honestly, all three of the games. I thought game two, you know, the, he had the horrible turnover in game two. And that's yeah. part of the thing is you haven't seen Kachuk or Duclair or Barkov make these absolutely incredibly bad turnovers that lead to automatic goals against. Right. And, but part of the other one is when the Leafs have been forcing turnovers, cause they have like, they, again, Matthews has had his chances, especially in game one and two. I thought he would, I couldn't yeah. believe he didn't score in game two. I was game one like, and two reminded me of the Columbus series where he was very obviously playing well. It just didn't go in the nets. Yeah, exactly. And like, but yeah, that, that's the difference is, Florida's guys have been able to capitalize and Toronto's hasn't. And yeah, in an 82 game season, you're not even worried about that because you go, that's going to get fixed. Well, this is an 82 game season. Toronto cannot lose in their next four games. Now they can't have literally anything. They can't have Bobrovsky play good ones. No. Or like if he does wall or whoever's in that has to match him and Toronto still needs to play better. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. Simple as that. I, I just, yeah, and but and that's the hole you put yourself in when you go down three nothing, right? So, um, 
I don't know. I, I don't have much more to say in the series. I, I will say this. I, I really don't think it's over yet. Like any other series in this round that went up three, nothing, I'd probably be like, yeah, this is a formality. We, you know, they're going to get one of the next four. Obviously Florida should be very heavily favored to win one of the next four games. But yeah. if there's one series I'd have to pick as a reverse sweep, I still think this Leafs team does have the talent and has shown they can outplay Florida to a high enough degree where it's at least a possibility. How high of a percentage? Not very, but still higher than I think any other team in this round or series would be. Oh, yeah. There's just no room for variance, right? Like, they'll be favored in every individual game from here on out. It's just, you know. Yeah, you got to win. shit for so long. Exactly. You got to win all four of those. So, um, yeah, that's all I really have on this series um, for now anyways. And was there anything else you really wanted to touch on? Matthew Nyes, unfortunately – as a concussion and we'll be missing game four and then maybe even more of the series. Um, yeah, I don't know. A, I, a concussion. I'll be really shocked if he's back at any point. You would Especially think so. He's, he's a kid, right? It's not like yeah. he's chasing his last ring or whatever. Like you got to take a very long-term approach with right now. The only prospect that you're confident has the potential to be a very good NHL player. Yeah, absolutely. So, um yeah i i I don't it'll be interesting to see where they go they you know it's literally must win now you know not uh not metaphorically uh, anymore so uh let's bounce around to a couple of the other series let's go to the other one in the east which also had game three today and that saw the new jersey devils climb back into the series two to one after getting absolutely dominated in the first two games again um I don't know what is with this Devils team not showing up for the first two games of a series and then showing up for the rest, but it is the exact same script. They were just on the road for the first two games. They win a crazy 8-4 game today. Uh, the the Akira just Schmidt dumped on them, eh? Oh, yeah. It was just goals after goals after goals. The uh, Akira Schmidt magic kind of ran out. He got pulled in both games, one and two, and then Vanacek st- started today and won the game, so... He, he like he had an eight sixty seven. It's not like he played particularly well, but I would imagine with the win, Vanacek starts game four as well. Um, I admittedly haven't watched a ton of this series. I've been gone the first two games, and then I watched the first two periods of today, um, which seemed to be very different than what the first uh, couple games entailed. Yeah, I haven't watched a ton either, to be perfectly honest, but. Glad to see the double to come back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good to see them making a series. The one really interesting thing to note is that this Carolina team is, uh, you know, we I really thought that if Carolina was going to win, it was going to have to be 3-2, 2-1, gritty style kind of hockey. And they have had no problem scoring goals in this series, despite all their injuries. Yeah, I watched I watched the Cod Kenny Emmy game. <laughs> that threw me for a loop. He scored yeah. twice. He looked very, very good, I thought, in that game. Like, that had the good breakaway yeah. goal, I think, too, right? Yeah, um, like you're, stall? yeah, oh, you're a hundred percent right. I don't know who it was. Just the fact that they can score is like, well, I did not see this coming. Yeah, like I, I really thought that would be an issue, but yeah, even four goals in a loss today, six in the win. That was the one you were talking about, and it, uh, it was yeah, Jordan Stall, um, is who I was thinking. Yeah, I was thinking was Eric Stall when I. When I said it, but yeah, I forgot Jordan, Jordan Stall still exists, <laughs> and he's like that. an effective player. Is, is the funniest part too? Like, oh, yeah, I he, think he still has good like RAPM numbers or whatever. If you go look at him, yeah, like it's not like peak or anything, but it's like he's still a good second, a middle six guy. Yeah, well, he was like one of the original 
guys we'd fight about because he'd always have good XG and mediocre goals numbers, and he's still doing his thing. Yep, absolutely. But yeah, um, they just they yeah, Cockney had two goals in that game. Stall Martin Ekash scores one. Jordan Martinuk, Stefan Nozan, like just a who's who to score goals, and then five goals in game one as well. Where you know those come from Pesci, Jarvis, Cockney again, Brady Shea. And then yes, for fast with an empty net. So it's been uh, by committee as well. But I think one of the really encouraging things for the Devils today, Timo Meyer finally gets on the board. He gets his first of the playoffs. Um, it was a plus three tonight as well. Jack Hughes goes to two goals, two assists today. Nico Heischer one and one as well. Um, their big guys really showed up, but Timo Meyer getting on the scoreboard and he had the first of the game. I really hope that lifts a bit of a monkey off his back. Obviously he had that uh, nasty hit in game uh, seven against the Rangers, but he is just, he's been unlucky this, this uh, playoff so far. Like he's been noticeable and not, not exactly what you'd expect, but also not zero goals through six games or whatever noticeable. For sure. Like he's, he struggled to find his way, but there's definitely a middle ground kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. That's a really good way of putting it. And then, yeah, on Carolina's side today, again, like Aho scores his fifth of the postseason. Seth Jarvis scores his fourth. Stahl had another shorthanded goal today. Two shorthanded goals actually in a minute and a half for uh, Carolina to make that game a little closer than maybe it looked originally. But, uh, yeah, I fully – I think this one will go – I'd say Devils in seven. You know, I think just naturally i got to lean Carolina. But I still think this one will easily go six or seven. And, honestly, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see the Devils tie it up in game four and – It'd be a 2-2 series heading back to Carolina. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think Canes and seven would probably be the most likely outcome if you're a bookmaker right now. But, like, yeah. I, I'm fine with Devils and seven. The complete randomness of who's going to start net on either team is a really interesting yeah, thing to watch about this. Yeah, that's a roller coaster, right? Maybe that's why everybody can score. Yeah, and that's probably a good point. Is Yeah, so Frederick Anderson came in. I think for I, like Renzo must be injured. I think um, I'm gonna try and check to see if I can find that. But um, yeah, Anderson started that last game against the uh, the Rangers or not the Rangers. Sorry, the the Islanders. And then the first couple games of this one, then he gets absolutely shelled today. And um, Kachekov was backing him up, um, and he came in and didn't look great either. Uh, Renta illness won't be in the lineup Sunday for Game Three is why he was not dressed today because I, I thought it was very weird that. Uh, Kachekov was um, not uh, playing, but he was, yeah, still battling illness even on May 6th as well. So uh, Hurricane Santa Rant unavailable Friday. Um, so he got pulled, was the backup for a couple games, and now he's sick is basically the thing. So theoretically, they should have all three goalies available to them in a day or two as well, assuming Ranta can get over whatever illness. And then on the other side, you have the Devils. I think they'll start Vanacek in game four, but like, he didn't look particularly good in this game. Um, no. So if he struggles again, do you go back to Schmidt? Do you put Mackenzie Blackwood in the net? Like, I don't know what you do. I think you go back to Schmidt reluctantly. I, yeah, I think so. Like if Vanacek looks, gives up four and 26 again and you lose or whatever, it's one thing if you lose three, two and Vanacek made like 29 stops, but it probably depends yeah. how the game goes. You're kind of, I think if you're making that decision for the Devils, you're basically just acknowledging that you're flipping a slightly weighted coin that probably ends in poor goaltending for you, which sucks. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So that'll be something uh, very interesting to keep an eye on. 
Um, the other series going on at West Dallas and Seattle. Uh, they are playing game three as we speak. I have it on the background. No score so far. Um, again, credit to Seattle, man. Like uh, I think the last time we recorded, we had we had talked about them in game one and how they had uh, um, played very well. Um, yeah, we definitely did. And then game two went Thursday night, so game three is tonight. Uh, Dallas fought back with a 4-2 win on that Thursday night game. Didn't get to watch too much of it. Uh, I went to bed pretty early because I was exhausted that night. But uh, Pavelski comes back. and I So back-to-back four-goal games as well. I don't know. We didn't get to talk about it, but we'll get to that in a second. Pavelski yeah. obviously has the four-goal losing effort in game one. Scores a fifth in uh, game two. Wyatt Johnson scores. Uh, Tyler Sagan scores. Evgeny Dadanov has been a quietly sneaky great pickup for the Dallas Stars. And Good call by your local Eminem podcast. Oh yeah. Like we we were all over that. And um you know the idea are... that more people weren't was crazy to me. This guy's had good numbers for years and then he has like even though, like know. Ottawa he disappointed for the three by fifteen million dollar like three by five contract they gave him. But like he was still a 45-point guy who I thought was really unlucky mostly in the year he played for Ottawa. Yeah, like the floor just – and his play-driving numbers were still – they were great in Vegas. They were even decent in Montreal. And he got traded for someone who's off. Like, I don't know. It just, it just kind of made sense to bet on the talent that's been good. Yeah, they traded him for – um oh, what's his name? Uh, oh. Kiryanov? Yes, Kiryanov, who like the stars had made clear they weren't playing and probably weren't and weren't re-signing this summer anyways. Yeah, and Kiryanov they, just people only know his name because he had the one playoff run. Yeah. That was like four years ago now. Yeah, and like Dadnov comes over, three goals, 12 assists for 15 points in 23 games in the regular season. He's now up to four goals, one assist for five points in the eight uh, playoff games this season, and just been a big depth contributor for the stars as yeah, well. So. Nothing crazy, but Great depth, which I think is what we kind of talked about. Just like a good middle six option. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, no, he's been a very sneaky pickup. And, yeah, game game three is going on right now. Pretty 0-0 with about five minutes left in the first. So people obviously know how that game turns out uh, as they're listening to this. And just trying to think the next game. The schedule's been so weird just with all the the off days and stuff. I I hope that – yeah, next game's Tuesday night for this, so we'll we'll have uh, this game and that game to talk about on our next podcast. Um, that leads us to the fourth series that is going on. That is the Edmonton Oilers and the Vegas Golden Knights, who've only played two games up to this point. They play game three tomorrow in Edmonton. Uh, game one took place on Wednesday night, and we didn't get to talk about that because we recorded Wednesday afternoon. Leon Dreisaitl scores four goals in a losing effort. That's got to be the first time back-to-back four-goal games and ended up in losing. <laughs> that's hilarious. Like, that's crazy, right? Yeah, a pair of meat tricks back-to-back. They both lose. is so funny. Yeah. Dreisaitl um, is possessed, apparently. He is just, like, you want to talk about having a playoffs. Like, this yeah. guy is just, oh, He's, man. Vinny texted me last night, and I don't remember if this was before or after his goal. He's like, Six goals back of the all-time playoff goal record four periods into the second round? Jeez. Like, yeah, so he has two more. So, yeah, they lose game one, six to four, and, and just in a back-and-forth battle. The sixth goal for Vegas was an empty netter. So it was 5-4 until the 30 seconds left. And then they just absolutely dismantled the Vegas Golden Knights yesterday. It was 4 nothing at the end of one. 
Um, but David pops off with three points. Dreisaitl has a casual two more goals that he adds. Um, Bouchard had a goal and assist as well. Like, uh, I'm, I would be a little worried if I'm Vegas right now, not just because of how good Dreisaitl is playing. McDavid's starting to get going as well. And, like, I thought McDavid was very obviously injured. And we talked about how L.A. put a lot into trying to shut him down the first round. But, like, I thought it was very obvious McDavid was at, like, 70% maybe in the first round. This added little rest has really, at least last night, really seemed to help it. Yeah, he looks he looked fantastic. That was another thing I was talking about when he was just kind of texting watching the game. It's like, yeah, like the Oilers have been fantastic, but McDavid's been, you know, by all McDavid standards, pretty pedestrian. And then, you know, he's still got the ability that the second he touches the puck, he's better than everyone else. Yeah, like he just he looked like he was playing with more speed. And man, you want to talk about that? That power play is just insane. It's also, I just so- looked it up. 19 goals is the record by Reggie Leach in 1975-76, Yari Curry in 84-85, and then Sackick has 18 in 95-96. So, yeah, and Drysaddle is 13, right? Uh, yep, and Drysaddle is at 13, so he's six off, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so six off, and he's right. Yeah, that's that's ridiculous. They have the best power play of all time, I'm pretty yeah, sure. That's what I want to get to is they by far have the best power. They're old, they're still operating at like a 60% clip in the power in the in the playoffs. playoffs. Yeah, I saw somebody had tweeted their thing about, oh yeah, like the Oilers can take advantage of the Vegas Knights penalty kill. I was right about that. I was like, yeah, congratulations. The best power play of all time <laughs> can, can succeed. I it's shocking. But yeah, yeah. like it's disgusting i think they scored like three power play goals the last game didn't they yeah uh it was at least two for sure uh no yeah it was three and then mcdavid had a shorthanded one by himself as well yeah um yeah do you want to i can read off the top power play percentages ever um in the nhl history if you want over a full season let's hear them all right so we will start at let's go 10 down it's 8, 10. So 10 is 1987-88 Calgary Flames at 28.5%. 1977-78 Rangers at 28.8%. 1979-80 Canadians at 29.1%. Noticing a theme here. Uh, The 1982-83 Oilers at 29.3%. The 1980-81 Islanders at 29.3%. The 2019-20 Oilers at 29.5%. The 1978-79 Islanders, and then at 31.2%. At third is the 77-78 Islanders at 31.4%. Second is the 77-78 Canadians at 31.9%. And first all-time is the 2022-23 Oilers at 32.4%. That's insane. Every other, other than, so this is hilarious. Like, they have the top, it looks like... About the top 20 posted here and 12, 22. They have the top 22 um, power play percentages posted here. Do you want to guess how many of them are from the, I'll say, the cap era, 2006 and onwards of the top 22? Of the top 22? Yeah. It's been up a little recently, right? Yeah, a little bit. Um, percentage? I'm going to guess like six out of the 22. I don't want to do them. six times four. What's that? 
24%. Just, yeah, basically that's, yeah, six, that six is a good guess. Yeah, teams is all I was looking for. It is three, it looks like it is six on the dot, and three of those are the Oilers. Oh, hell yeah. The 2021 Oilers had 27.6, which ranked them, I think, about 15th. The obviously 2022-23 Oilers were in first. Uh, The 2019-20 Oilers were in fifth. Uh, The 21-22 Blues were actually in 21st with a 27% power play. That was their PDO heater of last year, if you remember that. Um, The The Blues have solved hockey via passing. (laughs) Yep. Uh, Last year's Maple Leafs power play, 27.3%. And then I was going to say, I knew the Leafs had a team up there. Yeah, and then the 18-19 Lightning were 28.2%, which was their um, god year where they got swept. Yeah. So the the Oilers' power play this year has beat just a bunch of 70s dynasties, 70s and 80s dynasties. And the only, like, recent power, literally the only recent power plays with it is the Oilers from a couple years ago, the Oilers from a couple years ago, and the best Lightning, arguably the best Cap Era team we've ever seen, Debating me with this Boston team this year, yeah, and then a, a Maple Leafs team in there as well. But yeah, pretty pretty stacked Maple Leafs power plays. Like, yeah, that's that checks out. Yeah, just absolutely silly. Um, so yeah, you know, it's been good series so far. Even like yeah, the game on last, I was watching part of the game last night. Like it was out of hand pretty early, but Vegas kept it interesting. It was very chippy, that's for sure. Um, and honestly, this Oilers oh, yeah. team is so fun that they go fun both ways. Like, even when they're up four, I don't completely think they have a game all the way in hand, you know? So, um, no, absolutely not. I would be very okay watching this one go pretty deep, but, you know, I I don't really have a rooting interest in these playoffs, but I definitely like just watching good hockey. And, and Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl and just Edmonton Oilers in general right now are very, very exciting hockey that I'd be okay watching for another round or two. Oh, 100%. They're absolutely amazing to watch. They're so fun as a neutral fan. Like, I don't really care. I'm, like, vaguely cheering for Vegas, I guess, but... I mean... They're, like... They're... They legitimately, like, remind me of what people thought Toronto of... And maybe Toronto was three years ago. Yeah, where it's like, like 16-17 leaves. Literally, just like this run-and-gun hockey where it's like all fun and like they, they should have the big guys just absolutely get it done. They do, like in Edmonton's case. They, their big guys have been getting it done year over year. Well, not year over year now, but like this is the third time they've made it past round one. And obviously last year they made the conference finals. And this year they look – I just assume they're favored to do it again this year. So, But, um, yeah, like it just kind of reminds me – Everyone, there was a number of years there where Toronto and Tampa were one and two right up there of like watchability rankings for a neutral fan or whatever, just because like how much they pace they played with. And then obviously Edmonton was up there as well, but like Edmonton is miles ahead of Toronto now. And that's not even a knock on Toronto. It's just they have gone to this more defensively structured system. Whereas, yeah, Edmonton, their top guys are just so good. It doesn't matter what system you put in, they're going to make plays. Yeah, and they have depth that doesn't make you want to claw your eyes out. Yeah, exactly, right? Like that, like, That's the big like difference. The McDavid like, minutes were always fun. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's one of the big difference with, like, you can argue how effective, because obviously there have been teams where, like, bottom six is just nothing, and it is very effective. But, like, for a team like Toronto, we're seeing the downsides of having 
non really effective scoring depth where Edmonton went out and made it a priority to get guys who can skate and play a little harder, but also like Yamamoto's on their third line. Nick Bukestead's yep. on their fourth line. Nick Bukestead can score goals when he needs to. You know, he's not going to pot 40 in a year or anything close to that, but he'll be good for he can 15 or 20 goals, right? Like, And even if you go to the blue line, right? Like Eckholm. Eckholm's very fun, very effective. Evan Bouchard, like, mm-hmm. Evan, like he's a nice player to watch. He's very, very talented, good in both – or like good, great play driver both ways, all that stuff, like – even like you know, Darnell Nurse for Nurse is overrated, but he's fun to watch. Exactly, yeah. Like all his flaws, like he's been, and just like he's slotting a lot better now that uh, Eckholm's there, and he doesn't have to be the number one. Yeah, no, he's in a perfect role for him now. He's just overpaid, but it's not his problem. No, exactly, and like it's not like the cap means anything in the playoffs, anyways, right? So exactly, yeah, yeah. Now he's just a a good player playing where he should be. Yep, exactly. So, yeah, no, this Edmonton team has been a lot of fun to watch, but uh, um, I don't know, like this Vegas team is definitely resilient as well. Like, I don't think there should be any um, any disputing that they're going to keep this this series interesting. Like, I, I don't think this is uh, a five-game yeah, series or anything like that. Yeah, like, I think, yeah. I fully expect the next game to be another close one from Vegas. But um, the, the one thing I'll be curious about is I really – I wonder if Vegas tries to try and slow the game down a little bit. And, like, obviously, good luck the best you can against McDavid and Dreisaitl. But there have been in two shootouts now where, one, they got the better half of them, and the other, they absolutely did not. I kind of wonder if they go, hey, let's try and play a 2-1 game and see if that works to our advantage. Yeah, that's easier said than done, but it's probably mm-hmm, worth a sure. shot at least. <laughs> yep, like, yeah, obviously. I would say there's only – so there might be a case where they try – they play the perfect game behind and McDavid and Dreisaitl still combine for four goals. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah, you could literally do everything well defensively and still have that happen. Yeah, so, like, it's just – yeah. But, um, no, that's been a good series as well, and game three goes tomorrow night, and then game four, I would assume, goes Wednesday – um, it's kind of weird how far, yeah, it's game four will go Wednesday um, as well. So we will definitely have more to talk about uh, then. A couple non-playoff things to talk about, though. This uh, came out this weekend. One, for the draft lottery was tomorrow night. It is, yeah. Um, they, I started stuff. seeing, ooh, yeah, exactly. This should be right up, obviously, your, your alley. Not that the lottery really... Um, impacts your work necessarily a ton, other than we know who's going to get Bedard and you can kind of move around a little cater bit. some tweets, I guess. But yeah, like, yeah exactly. But um, just, just yeah. updated the draft model today, actually. There we go. Um, any big, any prospects you think that are standing out that's in the top 10 specifically, we'll say, I mean, top five. people are probably going to get bored of hearing this, but I don't think I've talked about him on the podcast yet. We have Mitchkov as the sixth best prospect of all time. Like, and he might drop out of the top five. He might be lower than sixth overall in this draft class. And that yeah. is going to be my favorite thing to watch. We have Bedard five all time, by the way. For yeah, those any, curious. Any team that can afford or just takes the patience of drafting him. I, I do know there are some like legitimate, like his dad was arrested the other week. Mitchkov? Yeah. His dad was killed. Killed, yeah. Died. I don't know if he was killed, but he died. And it was like the apparently the police are like covering that up pretty aggressively. Like, so there's like some legitimate concerns and stuff, but 
Yeah, there's just a lot from, of shit going on with Mitch Koff, but just from, from a, a pure on ice standpoint, yeah. Like if you can, um, if you you can wait because I think it's pretty clear he's not coming over next year. No, he's he's under contract I mean, uh, for two more seasons, I think. Yeah, I think even. Yeah, because the third year is when you're thinking he's going to come. Yeah. So, like, I don't know. A, I think if you're a team that can wait, you should. But B, I think most teams should be willing to wait. Yes, absolutely. Well, and this is a conversation I had had where it's like, if you're in a position to pick Mitchkov, you probably don't care about that. It's three years, actually, now that I say that. But, like, at very least, you're probably not trying to be good for the first two anyways, at which point you're saying... Are you willing to sacrifice a year? The only team in the top seven I could see about caring is maybe Columbus if they feel they weren't actually as bad. Yeah, they said they think they're good. Uh, Did you see that report? Like, they think they're close to competing. Yeah, and like, well, I mean, they just paid Branson $4 million and Goudreau 9 or whatever. Like, that doesn't surprise me. I don't think that means they are close to competing, but... (laughs) Yes, but as long as they think they are, they probably won't want to take that risk. But like... Anaheim, Chicago, and Anaheim's maybe another one where it's like maybe they want to turn the corner. But even them, like I feel like they'd probably be okay losing another year and then trying to convince Mitchkov to come in two years or whatever. But Chicago, definitely, they'd be more yep, than okay sure. taking another year. Kyle Davidson started publicly using the rebuild word like immediately when he got hired, and that was only last year was his first year. So I can't yep. imagine he's got anything but time. San Jose's. Same thing with Greer. He did the exact yep. same thing, and he just started last summer. Uh, yep. Montreal, we know, yeah, like Montreal, we know is they said they're committed to you know retooling this. Arizona, yeah, and Montreal's got enough good prospects. They might be able to like make the playoffs without Mitchkov, and then you become a contender when he shows up. Kind of. Thing. Yeah, Arizona again. We know that they are taking a two-three year more approach with this. Um, yep, and they're then... loaded up on twenty twenty-five picks, which yep. is. <laughs> Most of the Mitchkov weight's over at that point, anyways. And if you're still juiced with draft picks at that point, you clearly don't foresee yourself being a contender. Yep, or you're exactly. fine with the idea you might not be. Uh, and then Philly, again, like I think they should be willing to, um, you know, not be good for a couple of years. They probably look a little different on that, but. Yeah, Philly also thinks they're good, I'm pretty sure. And then you get to the Detroit, Washington, St. Louis stage and. Washington is maybe one of the only teams I could see, but even them, you know, obviously the Russian connection is so strong. I could see them wanting to take Mitchkov and be like, Hey, Ovi, do your work here. But I could also see Washington being like, we want to take Fantilli who we think like, we want to get as much out of Ovechkin's next two years. And Fantilli's rookie year actually helps us a lot more than waiting for Mitchkov for three. Yeah. Washington's in one of the spots where I think you would, at least Fantilli and Carlson can probably make impacts right away. So you probably take Fantilli and Carlson over Mitch Cobb just because. Like, and I then, think I actually buy the short term argument there over the long term. But, like, if you're yeah. picking Will Smith, you're picking like a 5 10 score out of the US system. Like, he's not helping Ovechkin. Get well, that's the thing. Is as soon as you. Two years or whatever. Exactly. As soon as you get past three, everyone admits that none of these draft picks are making a difference for two or three years anyway. So. Yeah. What's the difference Even if they're playing class. in exactly? Yeah, but like, what's the difference if they're playing in college versus the KHL at that point? Exactly. Like you're you're picking after that. You're picking like Zach Benson or like Will Smith, probably maybe like Redenbacher, who's a defenseman. 
But like all of those guys are going to take time to come over at which point what's one extra year to get like you need to to get a prospect like Mitch Cobb. You usually need to get lucky twice. First, you need to happen to be bad in a year that has a borderline generational first overall pick. And then you need to win the lottery in that season. And some team might be able to avoid both of those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, like, it's crazy. You just don't pass that up when you get the shot, too, I don't think. Well, no matter to how the point, Will Smith is or whatever. To the point, too, where a team might get like unlucky, lose the lottery, and still come out with the second best player. Or even arguably could be the best player in the draft, you know? I think Bedard will yeah. be, but no, you there's get, no promise there. You get the second best player since... Jack Hughes was drafted third, yeah. I guess. But Dart Hughes probably be one, two from that by picking like sixth overall this year. Yeah. Like, I also, I got to give Anaheim some credit, man. You know how many losses they finished the year on in a row to get that first overall pick? They or were on a, a heater. L13. That's impressive. 13 in a row. Because uh, I'm on Tankathon here and they got their, their streak. And I'm finished with a 13-game losing streak. Columbus and Chicago both finished with one-game losing streaks. And I remember those were pretty incredible, too, because they both won games in the final weekend. San yeah, Jose the Penguins, or the Blackhawks put the Penguins out of the fucking playoffs. And, and someone else, I want to say, too. Like, they ended two tier, uh, teams right in a row. It was hilarious. Um, but, yeah, San Jose on an L6, Montreal on an L3. So, Anaheim's got the best chance at first overall with 18 – or, sorry – at winning the lottery with 18 and a half, but because they put the new rules in, this is the first year with the new rules. Any team past 11th cannot actually win first overall. Yeah. So the odds of winning the lottery and the odds of picking first overall aren't the same thing. So exactly. you read so, those probabilities on TV, just watch out for that. Anaheim has a 25.5% chance at the first overall pick, but 18.5% chance of winning the lottery. And so yeah. ironically, the Ottawa's the first team where they could win the lottery, but not pick first overall. They would be picking second overall if they win the lottery. That's weird. Eh? What is I? I hate this it. League I, so this league is so stupid. Like, okay, in the NFL, the team who comes last gets the first overall pick. Does anyone have you literally ever seen a single football person complain about that? The two, two times I have seen it, and then everyone for shut the hell up because it has worked out in spades for both teams. The one, and the most obvious I remember, is when the Philadelphia Eagles were winning a game and pulled 90% of their starters <laughs> in the second half yep. to purposely lose, which put them from, I think they were picking 12th to 6th, and they got Devontae yeah. Smith with that pick? They traded down, got a bunch of firsts, or they got a first and a bunch of other picks, kept the first, but sacrificed a second, Got went back up and got Smith, right? And then... The next year, because of that first, they could trade for AJ Brown. So they yeah. basically were in the Super Bowl last year because of that one game. And everyone yeah. lost their mind when it happened, but now everyone went, Oh my god, look at how well they rebuilt their team. And then the other time was when the Miami Dolphins just like and even then they finished, I think, with four wins that year. Yeah. But like, yeah, no, like I and even like if you want to the thing is having the lottery doesn't de-incentivize tanking in any league. No. Man, and, you can't look at a lot of NHL rosters and tell me they're not tanking. Or any league. Same yeah, with the like, NBA. Like the NBA, yeah, like, the NBA teams won lose or win under 20 games this year, I'm pretty sure. Oh yeah. Like I 
outside of relegation, which is just it's not you know never going to happen. I can't picture a competitive structure in which you have teams trying to win at all times. The only one I can, and even then, it wouldn't be at all times. But like the gold, the gold draft standard drafting, yeah, and yeah, because then you're trying to lose, but in weirdly specific yeah, ways. So I guess, but. for anyone who doesn't know what gold drafting is, it's this idea that so basically you play until you are mathematically eliminated, and then whatever date you are mathematically eliminated. Every point from there on in goes to your draft standings, and you want to have the most draft standings. So the idea is, let's say, it probably wouldn't have been Anaheim this year because Anaheim yeah. hadn't lost 13 in a row. It would have been a team like Chicago or San Jose. If Chicago their math- beating Col- Pittsburgh would have been good. Exactly. So if they're mathematically eliminated with 12 games left in the season, they can start accruing points, and they would want to win all 12 of their final games in the season because it would give them 24 points towards the gold draft. Whereas Anaheim, wherever their math, let's say they were mathematically eliminated with 13 games left. If they choked their roster out so badly to the point where they lost all 13, that would actually be a bad thing for them because they would accrue zero points. So that way the idea is the bad teams that are still mathematically out earlier are still going to get more of a chance to get the first overall pick because a team like Calgary got eliminated in the last day. So the 16th team that got eliminated is not going to be able to win the draft because they're only going to have maximum two points or whatever, right? Whereas you still incentivize teams for wanting to win in the final 15, 20 games of the year, but you also try and keep it so it's the bad teams getting the first overall pick. That is the only way I have ever thought that you could probably incentivize it properly. And even then, I like listen to the depth I just had to go to explain that. I kind of understand why the league goes... Maybe we don't want that. Yeah, it it's complicated. I think it makes significantly more sense than the other system, but it's I agree. never going like, to happen. And like for what it's worth, I I don't even really hate the lottery itself. Like if you want to have a lottery, whatever. I don't really care. The thing that's just annoying, they keep fucking changing it. This that's the thing. Every time they change it and they go, Oh, look at it. If it's in the consequences of our own actions. Who could have seen this coming and changing it? Like I went on this rant again last year as well, but like it's the same shit where it's like, yeah, they made it so the bottom eight teams in the lottery have a combined 25% chance to get the first overall pick or win the lottery, quote unquote, right? And But it used to be yeah. the first overall pick. Of course, it actually came true once in a while because yeah, there, was, there was like a... 50% chance that someone from eight or below was going to get one of the top three lottery picks. Yeah. It's like the most infuriating thing is they built randomness into their system and then got mad at it. It's like, I mean, you can run a simulation of coin flips or whatever you want to call that in Excel. It will take like four iterations before some weird shit happens. It's the most mind-blowing thing in the world because especially because the reason they bake randomness in is to go, we want to de-incentivize tanking to show that coming in last every year doesn't automatically mean you're going to get a top pick. And then a team like Detroit complains in Vancouver that they've been bottom three for five years in a row but didn't get a top pick. And they go, oh, yeah, we should really fix that for you. It's like, no, you just stated you don't want that to happen. Why are you changing it now? Yeah, you literally – like – you're building in certainties that teams like Detroit and Columbus has had bad lottery luck get screwed over. 
it's just a matter of who. Like, it's literal coin flips then. Yeah. And, like, yeah, is it maybe not the greatest look that the Rangers got up from, like, 9-1 to one and then 7-2 to two or whatever in back-to-back years? Yeah, probably. But also, but again, this happen. is your – it is exactly. It is going to happen. This is your goddamn system. You yeah, literally asked for it and then got mad when it was presented to you. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right, we're going to sim the lottery once here, Chase. I'm going to tell you the results. It is the Arizona Coyotes jumping up five spots to get the number one pick overall. That's like the one team I really don't want to get Bedard. I don't <laughs> want to see Bedard in a fucking college arena. Yeah, I like, I think it was on Puck Soup this week too. They said they really don't want to see him go to Columbus. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, like not, nothing against Columbus's fans or anything yeah. like that. Like it would be great for the market for them to have a legit superstar, but like, I don't need him going to this one of the smaller markets in in all of uh, the league. Like Anaheim would be great, you know. Chicago, Montreal, Philly, Washington are all massive markets. San Jose is a big enough market too. Um, my bias is like I don't want to see him in much. Thing is, I I really don't know where I want to see him. Maybe I Philly? don't. I'm kind of with you on a bunch of the bottoms. I just want to ran the sim in Arizona one again. Funny <laughs> enough. Um. Yeah. See, the problem is I don't want Philly to get rewarded. No, me either. And like Philly's know, so like, management just done a bunch of stupid shit. And then yeah. All of the teams in the lottery right now, I either I don't want and like if he goes to Anaheim, I wouldn't complain. Like I, that would be probably the ideal from an on ice standpoint, I think. Yeah, but him like, and Zegers would be fun as hell. But I don't want 1030 starts with Bedard playing. No. I don't want to see him in a Yeah, we already have to wait for 1030 McDavid starts. Yeah, I don't want to see him in college barn in Arizona. I'd rather him in a bigger m- market than Columbus. Like, I just, I don't know. Yeah, it's a tough call. And then, like, Detroit. Detroit would make a ton of sense. But you got to think, I don't want DeCourt to be happy. Like, everyone's got a <laughs> friend in their life that they don't want to be happy and have his team win it, right? Well, like, it's even a- more so <laughs> with, like, Mont- Montreal and Detroit. I don't want to see, as a sense fan, I don't want to see Bedard four times a year light up my team. I mean, I yeah. do from, like, I want to watch him as much as I can, but him being in the same division, oh, I don't want that. Yeah, like, ideally so, he goes to the Metro, I guess, given that, but... Yeah, and so it's Washington or Philly, then. Yeah, and or Washington would be... Yeah, Washington's kind of got the Pittsburgh thing, where I don't know if they... I don't know if I need to see another generational goal scorer in Washington, but <laughs> I, it wouldn't be the end of the world. No, I, yeah, I agree, but... Um... Yeah, and then so the, the other piece of news um, actually is that the New York Rangers and Gerard Gallant decide to part ways today. Which Yeah, um, that was interesting. Not shocking, I guess, just given even like, I mean, they were talking about firing him two weeks into the season when the team was on like a PDO regression. Yeah, and that's the thing, right? Also like... What does his tenure look like if he doesn't get historic goal timing? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but also, the roster's way overrated by a lot of people. Like, they're in the same XG as the fucking Sabres this year. And that's the thing where I can't... And, like, I think his system probably lends itself to, like, a lower XG, maybe, than... But I, I don't know. Like, because, yeah, I go, well, did he get what he can out of this roster and the roster's not that good? Which I, I definitely think the roster's overrated. Or... Does his kind of style and system maybe not play to quite as dominant style of play, you know? Yeah. And like, it's 
probably a bit of both, but probably. And even do you flame him? Like Lafreniere and Kako, we talk about being like our relative boss. Like that's well, like he used someone's them in, fault. But like he used them exactly how he probably should have, right? Like they're bust because they have showed they haven't shown that they can do anything more than anything be effective more. third liners. But like if they can't be effective more than effective third liners, the coach can't just throw them out in the top six year over year. Yeah, and like the one defense of Lafreniere's, oh well, all his points come on the power play. And it's like, well, yeah, he kind of struggles at even strength. You don't just get gifted power play minutes in the NHL. Especially yeah. when you're on a playoff team. Yeah, especially and that playoff team has Fox, Kreider, Panarin, Sabanajed, or four mainstays, and then went and picked up Tarasenko and, and Patrick Kane at the deadline. Yeah, exactly. Like, specifically, Panarin and Kreider play your position. Mm-hmm. You don't ever get gifted. Like, Chris Kreider's not the greatest player on earth or ever, but, like, Chris Kreider's a fantastic NHL player. Especially you can't just be that, too. Yeah, you can't exactly fills a perfect role there, and like you can't just be mediocre at five on five and think you're going to get gifted power play time for that. Yeah, I guess I like think like I don't hate the logic there. My biggest question is like, who are they going to next? They've already said they're not going to Quenville. That was one of the connections that people were making, but I had already saw that was um, Brooks had tweeted out that that's ruled out already. Um, so like. Hmm. Who do you go to next? I'm going to be curious of of like, because you kind of already went with college coach or something. Yeah, maybe, but like, I don't know. Like, I just, I, I really, I'll be in, interested to see. Do you go to Bruce? Maybe you have a shitload of money. You can get him. Yeah, like that'd probably be the first person I'd call. Yeah, I. You, there's just not many. And maybe you wait and see. Like, there's an issue. He'll be expensive, no, but there's always the there's always a couple surprise firings as the playoffs go on as well. But like, or you know, just randomly at the end of the year, like I don't think Jim Montgomery is going to be like go of Boston or anything like that. But yeah, um, you probably don't go the Sutter route. I don't think. I don't like live tweeting games, but a Dallas defenseman just took a puck straight to the face, and then Jesus. they got scored on. It happened. Happened a couple nights ago too, didn't I think it? It was high skin. Then. Oh no! Yeah, it That's did. Scary. Yeah, it is high skin. Right to the nose. Oh my god! Sorry, I don't like live tweeting stuff or live uh, watching the game or anything because it doesn't make for good podcast content. But that is a disgusting play, uh, puck to the jaw right there. That is scary to see. Hopefully, he's okay. Um, that should be. Sorry, back to the range. Yeah, like I just. Ooh, yeah, he's bleeding. I don't really know what like what they do next, you know? Like I because just... they put them <laughs> we we've talked about this and a couple other people have been on it, but the Rangers got a whole lot of credit for rebuilding properly despite not rebuilding properly. And now they're gonna reap what they sowed. That's kind of the thing, is like and that like conference final run set expectations too high last year. Yeah, because if they bow over the first round of the penguins. Yeah, I'm sure this year's a little bit more of a disappointment, but you probably go, all right, we're giving one last kick in the can to try and get over the hump here. Whereas because of that conference final run last year and it went to game seven, you go, we were right on the edge. Like we know, we know exactly what we got to do. Just one more and we're good. Like, but that's just not how that works. Yeah. And now you're at the point where 
with the roster, like, what's Vasilevsky's worst save from Sunday? Let's give me a second here. Because people like to assume that elite goalies will stay elite, but let's use Vasilevsky. His worst yeah, save percentage is a 9-10. If Shesterkin puts up a 9-10, they're in the draft lottery, correct? Well, he had like a 900 to start this year. And again, they were talking about firing the coach. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah like, exactly. I forgot he started this year that bad. Yeah, like they're they're not in a great spot. They'll probably make the playoffs because Shesterkin will probably be great. But like, they don't they, I think the idea of them being scary is gone. Yeah, and, I think they're absolutely like a playoff team, but they're yeah, a playoff. They're getting older. No, well, and that's the thing, right? They're a playoff team in terms of like, how many more years are you realistically going to get 35 to 40 goals out of Chris Kreider? I think Zabanajet had 40 this year. Panarin, you know, we're seeing him kind of decline at five on five, even just compared to naturally what he was two, three years, four years ago, right? Like, and Lafreniere and Kako aren't taking the steps they thought they would. Yeah, I will say Kako's coming along. He still doesn't look like amazing, but Kako looks like a good NHL player now, I think. Like a second line NHL player. Even like, but like, you could argue Lafreniere is close to that as well, but like, they need them to be so much more than that, is the problem. Yeah. If, they, if well, they, they want to be truly dangerous. Yes, they need to shoulder the. Panarin's Banajad Kreider decline, which yeah. they are presently not capable of. Exactly. So, like, yeah, especially in this division with Pittsburgh and Washington declining, and I mean, who God knows what the Islanders do every year, right? But like, they're yeah. not as good as Carolina. They do, definitely don't look as good of a future as New Jersey. But then they're after that, close. the they're fine. <laughs> the yeah, the conference falls off so much that like. They're pretty comfortable, unless Columbus wins the draft lottery. They're pretty comfortably the third best team for a little bit here because the Islanders, Pens, Flyers, Capitals, and Jackets are all kind of taking a step back. And even still, if Columbus adds Bedard and Leo Carlson, which they are obviously not going to do, their preseason line is lower than the Rangers. Yeah, like just naturally how rookies pretty comfortably affect things. Yeah, like there's just, just such a large gap to make up. And I mean, Columbus has other good prospects, but like, I don't think Cole Cylinder's dropping 40 goals next year or whatever. Like, he might. And like, David Jircheck, I think Jircheck's going to be a number one defenseman. Like, our model, I think, would have picked him fucking first overall in the draft class last year. Like, really good. But he's not going to be elite next year. No. And again, like, especially with the how often do you see defensemen step in and just, be Kel McCarr or whatever, right? Like it's exactly the reason Kel McCarr is such a unicorn in that aspect is because it doesn't come around that often. And even Kel McCarr took a little bit after he got drafted to come over, right? He took a full college year. Yeah. And then okay, played so the still faster than I thought. Yeah. But yeah, but, still that's 100th percentile outcome, literally the best one we've, you know, ever seen. Look at Rasmus yeah. Dallin. He's like a generationally talented defenseman. Well, and that's the other thing. It's like, I think it was four years to be good. Yeah. Well, I really think it was from the podcast. Um, Chris was saying, like, defend, especially rookie defensemen, like, X goals against and stuff can be pretty noisy year over year, right? Like, their actual yeah. impact is probably hard to tell from one year to the other. Yeah. Well, because I think defenders are a little more like scheme dependent and everything. It's just yeah. harder to. 
Probably depends and, just, you know, what usage you're getting as well. Like an unfortunate reality is defenders have less impact on who wins and loses the game. And if there's less variation, it means there's more uncertainty in our estimates of who's driving what too. Like there's that aspect of it. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. Like I think the Rangers will be in fine. Like I just I don't know. To me, they just kind of seem like they're destined to be the third best team in the Metro for a couple of years. And uh, yeah, maybe if they all things come right and they have a good deadline, they can make a team that, you know, looks a little scarier. But I just I don't really see a world in where they're favored against either the Hurricanes or the especially the Devils in the next coming years in a playoff series. Yeah, it would take unless Lafreniere and Kako take that step that, you know, we expect or they find someone else. Well, and again, and it's about attaching, like, how many if statements do you have to attach together? Even if Kako scores 30 goals and has pretty good, like, if Kako's Max Pacioretty good next year, which is not even close to guaranteed, if they're still not favored against the Hurricanes or Devils. No, I think they're... Probably closer, especially with the goal. I do like the goaltender is such an X factor compared to the other two teams that are like rolling out who knows what on a given night. (laughs) Yeah. Because even like you talk about like age curve is going in the right direction. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And like that's why really hard to overcome. I'm going to be really curious with the the hurricane. Obviously, they're a very good team and I think they will be very good for a little while. But like I kind of think it'll be maybe next year or the year after where it's going to be the Devils are the class of this division with yeah. the Hurricanes probably right there as well. But, like, I think it'll be the Devils taking that number one spot, whereas it's kind of been the Hurricanes for two or three seasons, I'd say now. Yeah, oh, 100% it has been. Yeah, I'm with you there because, I mean, the, the second and third best prospects of the Devils rebuild haven't, like, Luke Hughes, one of them, Simon Nemec's the other. Luke, Luke Hughes, Hughes looked played the first, first playoff game today. It looked good, yeah. too. It looked really good. Yeah, and Nemec has been terrorizing the uh, the AHL from what I've seen on his like underlying numbers. Even though the and I mean the point totals are fantastic for a nineteen year old defenseman too. Like Nemec is really, really, really good, and the fact that they haven't even touched it yet, like the Devils are going nowhere but up, which is terrifying because they're already good. Yeah, and like that already doesn't include Alexander Holtz. Yeah, who could still be a great like secondary scoring option? Could probably run a power play unit if things break right for them. Yeah, that kind like of stuff. They have Nico Dawes in their system as like who they're hoping is their goalie of the future as well. Like it's just yeah, Dawson yeah. Mercy is a nice little story, but there's a chance he could be a star, and he's definitely not that right now. He's good, yeah. but he's like a second line player or whatever. Yeah, exactly. So like, yeah, their their upside is just so high, but. Um, yeah, it would be interesting Probably what New York does. The I would assume so. Yeah, just I don't... off the top of my just given the core that they have now, the maybe say like LA depends how high you are on some of LA's remaining prospects, but I don't think anyone can come close to touching the Hughes uh Nemec duo. Yeah, though Hughes is the thing that's so hard to replicate, right? Like, you know, Jeercheck and Sillinger are like a great duo, and Columbus has other good because like Jeercheck's probably better than Nemec or whatever, but Buffalo Hughes. with like powers, but yeah, Buffalo Hughes doesn't the... have the team that New Jersey does right now. Yeah, when we do this the, this time next year, like we're probably saying Hughes is the third best player in the league with a bullet. So yeah, so 
Um, yeah, other than that, I don't have too much. Seattle is up 3-0 against Dallas, so it looks like they are on their way to taking a 2-1 lead. But we'll recap that game for fully on Thursday. Uh, do you have anything else you want to touch on, Chase? I don't think so. All right. Well, that's a solid podcast. We will be back at you on Thursday uh, morning. And thank you, everyone, so much for listening. As always, you can find my work at lastwordhockey.com. All the Leafs Panthers analysis out as you are listening to this. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at NHL Sentence and Stuff, Chase on Twitter at CMHockey66, as well as all of his work on Substack and theactionnetwork.com. Definitely go check Chase's Twitter out over the next couple of weeks because I'm assuming the draft content will be absolutely ramping up as we get closer to the draft. So can't recommend that enough. Thank you everyone so much for listening, and we will talk to you all later this week. <laughs>